This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BFM 89.9. I'm Mira Sivasudi. Now after eight years on the air, we're bringing the bigger pictures health and living to you live on the ground. A whole day with the experts, debunking myths behind heart disease and diabetes, addressing our love affair with food. Of course, George will be there talking about sperm. So join us at BFM's Health and Living Live 2016 on Saturday, 2nd of April. Go on and register at bfm.my slash health. It's Wednesday, 30th of March, and that means it's time for the S&M show. This is a show that's, oh, that's right, you heard that whip. Uh, this is a show about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. And today, our guest is uh, none other than Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, who's independent FX strategist, uh, strategist rather. Um, and today, w- the topic is very interesting, informal FX traders. Su- Dr. Suresh, who are they? I mean, these are people that are involved in money remittance business. Uh, I mean, the the what was key was actually when the central bank released the annual report uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the financial stability report that was also released together. There was a nice, interesting tab- table there actually under the annex section uh, on inward and outward remittance of flows. And um, what I noticed there was actually on a net basis itself. Uh, Malaysia witnessed uh, in 2015 uh, net outflow of funds through this money remittance close to around 26 billion ringgit. Uh, so that's quite huge. How much is that as a percentage of total flows out of Malaysia? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say out of total flows, but I would say uh, the size of the Malaysian economy and the net outflows that we saw, there's roughly 2.45% of the Malaysian economy. Uh, right. So it's huge. Yeah, it is I huge. mean, how do you start a business like that? Can I just uh, wake up you know, one morning and say, I want to be an uh, informal FX trader. Uh, you know, in 2011, the central bank actually gave a lot of licenses actually for this money remittance business. And uh, the fact is actually they are actually under this under this act itself, uh, they're almost close to around 76 operators. 30 of them are in the money remittance business itself. Uh, so which tells you it's a, there are a number of players there. Uh, and the other thing taken into account is that uh, they get quotes from the bank itself, uh, investment banks, the FX traders there. And then they do a markup on the spreads and then they sell it off to people on the street, actually, through this money remittance business. So it's a very big business, uh, huge flow, uh, but it's not really captured by policy making itself. Okay, so this is the big problem that uh, I want to expound on. So last night I had a nice dinner with a bunch of fund managers all the way from Singapore. And their biggest concern is not just on the quantum, but the fact that this is not captured by any policy makers. And now, in my opinion, I think this is an extremely crucial case where you have to factor in everything when you make a policy, but yeah. something as big as 26 billion is not factored in. Even if it's one ringgit, I mean, mm. you know, it's a matter of principle. Are you concerned mm. about this? Yes, I am actually, because we tend to feel that it's a migrant worker problem and uh, they are remitting money and we think that, you know, it's their problem. But the fact is, uh, it's quicker, faster, and a lot more efficient than going through a bank to transmit money itself. Uh, the key thing to take into account is actually when you remit money through these money business operators, is that you just go to the counter, you get the codes, and then you, you give them the cash, and then it's transferred out actually in whichever currency to your home country itself. And it's a lot more faster than going through a, a bank procedure where it's actually a lot of forms to be filled in. So now existing laws and regulations actually on capital outflow is actually is very tailored towards the banking institutions, but it's not really uh, tailored much into the money remittance business itself. It's not being really enforced strongly itself. 
So um, let me get this right. Uh, this, is this not captured uh, by Bank Nagara? Or is that it's, what you're saying? It's, it's captured, but it doesn't figure out uh, strongly on their policy making to control this outflow of funds, actually, which is coming through many remittances. And, and you're saying that uh, there are about 30 who took up uh, the license, right? Yeah. Uh, 30. And uh, this 30 handles 2.5% equivalent to the yeah. GDP. Yes. Uh, that, that's huge, right? That uh, huge. So each of them is making huge amounts of money. Yeah. In dollar terms, it's 6.5 billion uh, net outflow last year, uh, which works out, if you look on an average basis itself, that's 550 million US dollars a month. Uh, that's been going on. And, you know, since 2011, um, this these amounts have actually grown by leaps and bounds. Uh, at one point, actually, it was equivalent to 1.2% of the Malaysian economy in 2011. Now it's actually close to 2.45%. So given how it's grown, uh, I wouldn't be surprised the next five years, it'll probably be 5% of the Malaysian economy, so the outflow of funds. Uh, any idea where this uh, money goes to? I mean, like, uh, is it really a remittance kind of a business where foreign workers go, like Philipp Philippines, uh, in Indonesia, maybe yeah. uh, India and Bangladesh? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the demography of foreign migrants here itself, mostly it goes to probably Nepal, India. Uh, even Indonesia and Philippines itself. Uh, but, you know, we, we don't have data to look at actually where existingly it goes because that will be actually a function of uh, one of the codes of the most highly transacted currency pairs that are being used see, by the money remittance business. That means uh, we have to see flows that actually whether it involves ringgit against rupiah, ringgit against peso, ringgit against Thai baht and so on. But so that data is just not captured at all. So I, I, get, I just cannot uh, get my head around the fact that uh, these informal traders make so much money. I mean, what is their background? Are they uh, different from the Chetias? I read that a few years ago, the Chetias also have their informal networks, right? They pick up yeah. the phone and on the other side, you have your money transferred. Yeah. Okay, what's really peculiar about this industry is the fact that, you know, um, what started off as simple foreign exchange uh, trading itself in, in, in your local bureau, the exchange, now is actually evolved into money remittance because of the foreign migrants that we have. Now, this So these are the Chatyas? No, <laughs> <laughs> the modern day Chatyas, probably. <laughs> but you know, the, what, the, the spreads are quite huge. So you get a quote from the bank, and then actually that's actually quoted up a lot more higher, and then it's actually given to the uh, recipient of this uh, money exchange itself. So customers who walk in, actually, you see levels which are totally different than what you see in the Reuters and Bloomberg screen itself. So the margins are quite big. But it's also a volume business. Uh, if you have more volume that actually comes to uh, ringgit against the rupee, uh, then you see actually that spread's trying to compress. But if you have actually a walk-in customer who wants to look at actually ringgit against uh, probably uh, Pakistan rupee, which is not not highly traded itself, uh, then the margins are a lot more wider itself. But the key thing here to take into account, it's a margin business and a volume business itself. So for emerging market currencies, the more illiquid that currency is, the better for this money remittance business. So for Currencies like ringgit against sterling, ringgit against Aussie, the margins are very narrow. So it's a very liquid currency, so they don't make much money of it. And most people who do those currencies tend to go to the bank itself and do it. Yeah. So you are an independent FX strategist. Is this a business that you will go into? <laughs> okay, I think yes, I would go. Because if you look at the positions, uh, these traders are sitting on almost 550 million US dollars on a month. 
net outflow itself. So they are roughly sitting on positions sometimes bigger than FX traders in the bank itself. So if you ask me, actually, yes, it's a it's a big business. It is very lucrative and it's quite big. And how how can we apply for a license? Yeah, <laughs> because it's particularly legal, right? Uh, we're using this act called the Money Services Business Act or yeah. MBSA, yeah. and uh, they have a license uh, business called the uh, Money Services Business. Everything is on the level. So yeah. I don't imagine why you know people like the three of us, who is an alumni, all three of us <laughs> of a certain <laughs> bank. Uh, not do this. <laughs> I think the the key thing to take into account is that uh, you you must have the people uh, involved in it to get in, get in, I mean to get interested itself because uh, most of this money remittance business uh, hires uh, retired bankers or investment bankers or people who are in the treasury and the foreign exchange trading who really know the the mechanics of actually this trading and and the fact that actually you must bear in mind that in a money remittance business when you buy dollars wholesale. Uh, you are, you know, you're sitting on a pile of dollars actually, which you purchased earlier, and, and the time frame of holding on these positions are less than 24 hours. Unlike in a bank where you can hold it a bit more longer, so you, you you're sitting in a very huge risk there. And if you get it wrong, uh, then it tells you actually that you'll actually probably lose money. So you have to be very sharp and accurate. And mostly people are very experienced to go into the business itself. You're listening to the SNM Show and this morning we have Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, independent FX strategist with us talking about informal FX traders. Up next, uh, we'll look at the impact on the wider economy. You're still here. Good. Now, if you're listening to this podcast while on the treadmill, you're already off to a good start. If you're not, don't forget to join us at BFM's Health and Living Live 2016 on the 2nd of April. Find out how you can live a better, healthier life. Go on and register at bfm.my slash health. 9.47 in the morning, you're listening to the SM show, the show that's all about, oh, that, there you go, that's the whip. Uh, it's about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. And today we're talking about informal FX traders. With us is Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, independent FX strategist. Uh, of course, um, you know, the government gave out these licenses and obviously uh, being a lucrative business, people took it up. But does Bandagara frown upon such activities? Not really, actually, uh, because the key thing you take into account is that actually it's a service provider. Uh, it gives a service actually for most of these migrant workers. But my concern is actually that it's grown quite huge, and uh, it's 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 actually risky in the sea. Actually, the outflows are running at actually at twenty six billion ringgit a year itself, uh, and the amount has actually increased over the last few years. But what is more important is actually that um, this is one of the factors that can drive the currency itself. Uh, if we ask ourselves actually why the ringgit is actually weakening, sometimes it's actually these flows are also driving it as well. Uh, so bear in mind in some of the countries like in Mexico, Philippines, uh, India, China, uh, these are the biggest recipients of uh, of flows on a global scale in 2015 itself. Mm -hmm. And you notice actually that flows that go to India uh, tends to coincide with the holiday season, the Eid and, and festival lights in China during the lunar holidays. For Mexican peso and the Philippine peso, it actually coincides with Easter and Christmas. And you'll notice these currencies tend to gradually appreciate during this festive season itself. <laughs> so, which means it's a variable that is actually not taken into account most of the time. So, you, you, we are in a position to arbitrage that, is it? <laughs> of course. But the fact is actually these money remittance flows drives currencies as well. 
Okay, but why are you worried about this? Because these are genuine outflows, Doc. Uh, yeah. And if we if we want to hire foreign workers, this would have to be the price that we would pay for it. I mean, uh, the current account balance and current account flows are being talked about all yeah. all the time, and this is an example of that. Exactly, you see. And twenty six billion is actually on a net basis. It's not a small amount. It's quite huge. It's two point four five percent of the Malaysian economy. My concern is actually this keeps on growing to its close around five percent of the Malaysian economy. So it becomes actually a factor that could drive the currency itself or even be a factor that actually decides the fate of the currency itself. Uh, bear in mind, these are outflows. The inflows are very few. It's, it's the, the amounts are actually limited. So if you see remittance inflows, uh, it could actually provide some sort of strengthening for the currency. But these are outflows naturally. So this is the strongest argument that I think I can make in order for us to actually improve on local hiring. Um, something that uh, the Deputy Prime Minister has argued that Malaysians don't want to do the three R jobs. Uh, and if we can retain at least 2.5% or going to be 5% kind of economy within the country, I think this is uh, another way of actually improving the wages. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm echoing yeah. that sentiment. And I, I think what you're suggesting is that this is not necessarily monetary policy. No. This is fiscal, right? Yeah, fiscal and labour. Labour well. is, is yeah. so a government policy. Yeah. So right now we have two jobs to either be fiscal policy makers or the traders themselves, <laughs> the money traders. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the key thing here is actually to take into account is what you mentioned is is that the labour market needs restructuring itself. Uh, without that restructuring itself, you'll see symptoms of this actually occurring on the financial sector. Itself. Yeah, but on the net yeah. basis, you know, on w- on one single foreign worker, construction worker, they get 700 ringgit. I cannot imagine paying a Malaysian 700 ringgit to do, you know, heavy lifting. They get more, I think. They, uh, yeah? they, they get, uh, I mean, the minimum wage is 900. They, I think uh, talking to industry people, we've had a few of them on the grill, uh, it's around 3,000 ringgit. It's, it's not bad money, uh, uh, but uh, it's not jobs that locals want to do, right? This is what the so-called what, 3D. 3, 3, R, 3, 3, 3 R's, yeah. yeah. 3R job. But, you know, the, the thing here to take into account is actually with a 3 ringgit, I mean 3,000 ringgit actually for a Malaysian worker, that's quite difficult to survive in KL itself. Uh, it, it is quite yeah. difficult, yeah. And, um, I mean, we don't even want to touch on the kind of slavery conditions that they they live in, right? Uh, and I'm sure that, uh, I mean, we speak to many people on the grill, uh, whether they're in the plantation sector or in the construction sector, uh, many of them are given, are taken care of uh, pretty well. Um, but, y- you know, uh, going back to your arbitrage statement, um, if, if you want to do it, is this like a winning strategy? I mean, to just foresee when, during the holidays when this is going to happen, you know, you can buy or sell the ringgit, trade or trade down, trade up or trade down the ringgit. Uh, you will notice actually that, you know, if you're sending money actually to this money remittance business, uh, festive periods actually in their home countries, that will actually be a factor that actually drives the ringgit weaker as well. So, which means actually, say, sometimes we we look at actually the, the erratic movements in the currency. Uh, this is one of the factors that is actually in the background, in a, in a shadowy manner, actually, that drives the currency itself. But the, f- the failure is actually say, we don't show much importance to this remittance outflows at all. I think, uh, is there a way for us to make this kind of uh, uh, inculcated inside the macro policy of at least measuring the country's economy? Yes, it, it should be actually implemented in a policy making itself uh, outflow of funds uh, not through the usual balance payments uh, sectors or the services sector or portfolio flows but this factor itself because uh, uh, I know actually when you look at Philippine peso uh, remittance inflows uh, into the Philippines economy during December Huge. period it's a, it's a factor that's actually used 
as a variable actually to gauge the direction of the peso itself. Okay, so, that's so right. Huge, you know, yeah. That's, because that's they, they have yeah. a huge chunk of overseas foreign workers yeah. and that those kind of flows are very, very significant. Um, now, let's just, uh, on the subject of currency, you want to uh, go back uh, to this ringgit discussion, right? You came on earlier this year, you made some predictions, uh, <laughs> four, 470, I think, uh, to five ringgit uh, to the US dollar and uh, you called for a recession. Now, yeah. I actually defended you because yeah. I uh, last week I said that uh, there are many factors that happen that can change a thing but what's going through your mind uh, what were the changes uh, that sort of derailed your okay. predictions okay uh, what really actually altered the views to a large extent was actually the stabilization in oil prices it's still hovering around the 40 US dollars uh, that is one the the other fact is actually we've seen some decent amount of inflows in the last one two weeks these are related to uh, sell off is actually some of 1MDB's uh, projects uh, and those inflows came in uh, the other factor to take into account is actually uh, Japan actually is decided to actually buy uh, liquefied natural gas from 2017 itself from Malaysia so that actually provided another factor uh, into supporting the ringgit itself now my concern is yes we've seen these inflows it has derailed that view that I had but has the ringgit really appreciated so significantly to go back towards levels below 380 well, it's uh, below four right now. Right, three point nine six. Three ninety six right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, what does your crystal ball say? I think for a lot of people, going from moving from four forty to three ninety six thereabout or four is a huge relief. It's yeah. a huge, huge relief. Of of course, nowhere near the three thirty that yeah. we saw. But what I also noticed was the last few weeks is that there's a strong correlation with the yen gain in uh. strengthening and the ringgit strengthening itself. So. My concern is actually whether this correlation coincides with the usual uh, month in and the fiscal year in in Japan itself and whether we start off actually on a weaker ground in the second quarter this year itself. So let us see actually, we've gone through the, the financial reports of the central bank. Uh, we've seen the recalibration of the budget. Now, the big other deciding factor is actually who's going to be the next central bank governor. So that could be another factor that that actually drives the ringgit itself going forward. Yeah, so just to repeat uh, Joe's question, can you just consult your crystal ball? And, and <laughs> we won't hold you to it, we promise. Oh, no, we will. We will. At least I will. I will hold you to it. Okay. Um, I think Tansri Dr. Irwan Sirika is actually the one that fits in very well. Uh, with the in bill. what sense? Uh, I think he, his strength is actually he's coming from the fiscal side. Um, and if you look at his background, actually, he's got a diverse background from demographics to uh, energy management and a PhD in international economics itself. So it tells you, actually, his ability to gauge different aspects of it itself. That's that's very crucial for the modern-day central banker, if you ask me. It's, uh, it's just not necessarily being someone who's actually just trained in monetary economics, but being the modern-day central banker who's actually got a knowledge of everything there itself and able to use that is maximum itself. But you know, Bank yeah. of would not be able to bother itself with, um, would not be able to make fiscal policies. They're totally monetary. And would you say that Sariga's appointment would bash the ringgit down further? Not really, actually, because the key thing here to take into account is that uh, given where the ringgit has strengthened so much is what you mentioned, and even if actually the market is very concerned about it, if the ringgit weakens, it'll probably go back to its levels which are close to around 420, 425 and stabilize it on there. So naturally, we are back to square one itself. But I think the, the, the key thing to take into account is uh, the policy making that he introduces in the first 100 days 
at office itself. Uh, I'm a big proponent of unorthodox uh, economic policies uh, and going against the grain itself. And what really is needed now in this uh, junction in the Malaysian economy is uh, counter-cyclical policies. Uh, if you can't get it from the fiscal side, you can always get it from monetary policy. And coming into that aspect of monetary policy, I'm looking at a rate cut itself. Uh, and it's not necessarily needing to be in the clips of 25 basis points. It could be in the clips of 10 to 15 basis points. Basically, so, just an indicator. It's like a signal uh, yes, that this is the direction you want. Of a signal of an easing itself. Mm. Uh, not necessarily the quantum that you want. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I'm sure this conversation is going to continue. Uh, but uh, 420, 425 is what you're going for. Uh, for the ringgit, uh, Dr. Suresh, <laughs> we want to thank you for your time for coming in here. And uh, we've been talking about informal FX traders as well as uh, the ringgit exchange rate. Uh, you've been listening to the SNM show on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.